This is a shock podcast. Shock. Esteban Ocon in the barrier, smashing into another driver, uh, Alonso, right? Giving Alonso a puncture. And of course, just immediately getting on the radio and being like, that idiot Fernando, what's he doing? Blah, blah, blah. But I mean, mate, you take one look at that footage. I mean, for me, that was almost entirely Ocon's fault. Again, just goes to show that when you make it to Formula One, you think that any bad thing that happens is everybody else's fault. Hello and welcome to another episode of Suited and Booted, the Formula One podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Woodruff, and with me in the studio is... Jasmine Jafar. And just Jasmine Jafar, uh, where Tan is not here. He's he's on holiday, right? No, for work, actually. Oh, okay, I thought he was on holiday. Yeah, I was, I was looking at his Instagram stories. Another race called the Macau Grand Prix. Oh, that small race. Small race. Yeah, the Monaco of Asia. Well, we wish him the very best of luck. We miss you in the studio. I hope you guys missed me in the studio last episode, uh, but I'm back. We have two more races left this season, that will be the end of it for us talking for this year. Correct, Vegas and Abu Dhabi. I mean, we were just walking on the hallway, coming into the studio, and I said, Dan, that's it. Two races to go, and uh, it's a checkered flag for us. Yeah, we've got a, a, a cute little summary episode for the season coming your way as well. Uh, I've got a couple of thoughts that I want to discuss about Las Vegas as well, but we can talk about that at the very end. So we are very close to the end of this season, and we've just wrapped up at Interlagos in Brazil. Uh, a classic circuit. I mean, this is a circuit that's been around for a long time. It's seen quite a lot of different Formula One cars. Surprise, it's still on the grid. It, it doesn't need any updates, does it? No. Um, they've only updated the curbs, actually, Dan. The reason I ask this is I, I look at these modern F1 cars going around, and you for the majority of the calendar, you've got a lot of new circuits, tech pro barriers, lots of runoff. You know, you've got that, like, Paul Ricard vibe. You've got Abu Dhabi coming up as well. It's very modern. But then you get to Interlagos, and it kind of feels like going to one of those old-school tracks in the UK. Like, like, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, there, there's something unrefined and unpolished about it because it is quite old. And you were saying they did the curbs, but those curbs are mean, man. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Actually, even the um, uh, grandstands is still is still not permanent grandstands. It's only um, been put up for the Grand Prix. And I'm sure you've seen some um, footages of when Senna, you know, he was stuck in that fifth gear throughout the second mm-hmm. half of the race and... Uh, his arm was was completely, you know... Uh, his whole body was uh, just wiped out. Exactly, and he stopped at the back straight, right? Yeah. Or the second straight. So, um, and it was tentages then. So, and there was heavy rain over the weekend and um, some of the tentages were flying off. So, um, to answer you, actually, Dan, it is still an old school circuit. I And, I mean, not to kind of bash them, I'm, I'm also kind of surprised that it passes the safety standards. Like, the tire walls... I don't know. They again in, in comparison to a lot of these other circuits where it's very very modern. I I don't we haven't seen very many huge impacts there thankfully, but I don't know, it just does it seem it just right. seems old school, you know? Yeah, like yeah, I can't yeah. believe the FIA have 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 approved it. Yeah. They um, they even extended their contract actually Dan, another 5 years. So we're going to see 5 years of Brazilian Grand Prix coming up. I mean, you've got such a crazy crowd there as well. Lewis Hamilton thinks that every crowd is the best the best fans in the world. Uh, but realistically, you've got the Tifosi in Italy. You've got the Japanese. I would say the- Brazil's not too far behind. They're a pretty passionate bunch, no? That's true. 
you know, they were a lot more passionate when they had a certain Brazilian in a Ferrari racing up front, potentially winning the world championship, who said he wasn't going to come to this race weekend, namely Felipe Massa, who still has his ongoing court case with the FOM. But there was something funny that happened this weekend, right? Yeah, Dan. I mean, um, he did say publicly that he wasn't coming. Um, There were damages that, that happened to him um, the fact that he lost the championship and he's going against the FOM, the Formula One management. And there was a funny live feed shot and photos that he was walking past Bernie Eccleston. Uh, very awkward. I think it's an ongoing um, trial that they're, they're fighting for who's right. It's gone past since 2008. So it's a long story ago. He should have fought for it then, to be honest. Yeah. But um, I don't know. What's do, the do you think he's going to win? Yes, I mean, realistically. It, it's hard to say, really, you know, now with, with modern laws and errors, but um, even if you're fighting against FOM, the, the the chairman back then was Bernie Ecclestone and he's 97 years old, right? So <laughs> Yeah, and committing fraud and he's got other court cases he, uh, he cares about a little bit more. Correct. So he's he's just paid an hefty bill, so perhaps another one up coming up. Okay, well, we'll keep our eyes and ears peeled. I- eyes and ear Eels? Ears peeled for, for updates in that case, but... I personally just feel like he has the money to go and do it, so why not, right? Like, at worst case, you just end up exactly where you are. So, this weekend, we had another one of our favorite sprint shootout weekends. Uh, Please try and detect the sarcasm in my voice. I know we have gone on and on and on bashing this kind of format on multiple episodes. I know we sound a bit repetitive, but we can because it's it's our podcast. Uh, but I feel like the fans are getting more involved now. I feel like more media publications are getting increasingly annoyed with this format as well. I mean, I just, I, I do you think it's going to last next year? This is the most I've heard about negative uh, comments towards this sprint format. I think we spoke about it after the Austrian Grand Prix. I don't think the fans are even um, jiving well with it, despite of... I think they have intentions of increasing the ticket prices and etc. because there's a lot more content. I don't think it is actually being impactful in the viewership. I think the the viewership has plateaued since the restart after COVID. And um, it's not easy, actually, Dan, for the fans to understand this, this, this particular format. So... Um, if they want to do a sprint race, like I mentioned before, they have to do it completely separately. I, I, I think keep Formula 1 simple and keep the junior feeder series up to Formula 1 simple as well. I, I you know, we, we've said it before, car racing, four-wheeled racing can be extremely complicated for people even in the industry, right? It's not as simple as F4, F3, F2, F1, right? And this is as simple as it has been ever in terms of how they've branded the junior series for young drivers making their way to Formula One. It logically would go F4, F3, F2, F1. They're trying to do that, but you can still go all over the place. You can do Renault, you can do obscure championship names that don't have any numbers in that are kind of in between different championships. You can do GT cars, you can do touring cars. What's the difference between all of that? You know, you can do Le Mans prototypes. How does that affect your career going up to Formula One as well? So I think simplicity is key. So let's talk about qualifying then before we get into the (laughs) non-simple layout of this weekend. Uh, For qualifying, I'm going to do a quick roundup of the top five. This is in your memory, Ron, when you're listening to this in the car. Um, (laughs) We saw Verstappen on pole position with Leclerc in P2, Stroll in P3, Alonso in P4, and Hamilton in 
in P5. So let's talk a little bit about Aston Martin's performance. Two elements here. One, Aston Martin is just back up at the front, full stop. We obviously know about Alonso's incredible finish in the race, which we can talk about more later. But the second point to highlight here is Stroll actually finishing ahead of Alonso. I've been reading a lot of comments. <laughs> I can see that a lot of people just think it's a fluke. I kind of think so as well. <laughs> what, what, what's your opinion? I'm just going to take every opportunity I can to, to bash Stroll as well. He's been our booted driver for the last uh, few races, but it seems like they have properly sat down and got their act together, pulling in together a strong qualifying effort onwards to the race weekend. It brings a very rejuvenating um, vibe in Aston Martin. By the looks of, of qualifying, they had a clear run, no mistakes. They extracted the most maximum performance out of their car. I think there's a lot of assumptions of, of the fact that they are already focusing on the 2024 car. But uh, despite of that, they, they are still yet to maximise what they have on this package for the remainder of 2023. So I think they've put in together quite a good effort in, in that strong quality result. So, and most importantly, Stroll because Stroll is on that downhill poor stream of results with crashes and um, poor performances so this was just being slow correct <laughs> and and this is a good performance for him to turn around yeah for sure rejuvenation makes it sound very very positive but I don't know maybe it's daddy threatening to pull the purse strings and to shut the team down if he that's true there's, there's also talks up. yeah there's also talks about new owners right whether it's the F1 team or, or the principal at Aston Martin Lagonda but uh you know, no matter what, results um, plays a lot of the factor. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so we can talk about how Aston Martin did later on in the race, which is ultimately where it matters. But qualifying was also interesting because it was looking like it was about to rain like it was Armageddon. Like it literally, the sky was black. And some of my favorite races this season have been when it's rained. So, you know, I don't think we're going to get rain in Vegas because you're in a desert. I don't think you're going to get rain in Abu Dhabi. So I feel like this was our last chance at actually, you know, getting, getting some boat racing um, and, and spicing things up uh but not quite so that's qualifying only other thing i have written down is the fact that the tarp and the grandstands actually ripped off which actually <laughs> as funny as we're making it sound if you guys have seen that fan footage of people in the grandstands it was bloody terrifying so i hope everybody was okay and nobody got hurt with bits flying around let's fast forward to the shootout so the top five results for that was Norris in P1, Verstappen in P2, Perez rounding off the top three, followed by Russell and Hamilton with a Mercedes P4 and P5. Let's talk about Norris. I have a feeling like he's going to be your, your winner for today, but I'm not wow. going to spoil it. Um, <laughs> I mean, what a performance. Dan, I watched his onboard videos and when you see, you, you know, I mean, you're traveling in great speeds, right? And the way he approaches the corners and maximizes the um, entries by going over the white line and um, he knows every inch of every limit of that car and the track. And putting it together, he's driving a lot cleaner, a lot more, um, you know, calculated than previous races. And I thought he had the potential to, to, to win over the weekend. And it's a great effort to see. Although Piastri was struggling, his, his teammate, um, not far off, three tens off. But three tens in, in, in this modern era is a lot of time. So, um, mega, mega effort. So, Norris finished 
0.061 seconds ahead of Verstappen in terms of lap time, which is it, it is nothing. There's, you know, it's, it's literally a, a hair. I'm trying to remember, did Norris and Verstappen ever race each other in go-karts? I feel like they were always one category different. Yeah, I think Max was older. Yeah. So when Max was in um, seniors and... Um, and KZ, he raced in the shifter karts and then Norris was racing in juniors. Juniors, correct. Yeah, there's actually quite a lot of uh, cute little memes of them at the World Championships. I think it was in La Conca or something. And it's like Max and uh, Norris shaking hands. Yeah, (laughs) mini Norris and mini Max. So this kind of scenario frustrates me, right? Knowing what it's like being in motorsports and, and seeing these results, right? We know how dominant Verstappen is and we know how dominant he's been in a Red Bull. But we can also see that if Verstappen wasn't in a Red Bull and we were just relying on Perez, maybe you'd think that the car isn't good enough right? But now we're seeing Norris getting ahead of Verstappen. So I've got these like gears kind of crunching in my brain. It's kind of like in that moment, is McLaren creating a better car than than Red Bull? And this is this is what frustrates me in Formula One because the cars are all different. So you, do, you don't actually know if Norris is driving better than Verstappen in that particular session. I think it's come, it's come to a point that it's a combination of both then. It looked as though he's driving better, but the car looked that is suited Brazil very well. Mm-hmm. So I think McLaren has gone positive step compared to where they were earlier part of the season, you know, to fighting for race wins. I mean, they've got a race win by um, Piastri already and several podiums by Norris. It feels great. But I've always wondered, what if we start seeing Norris in a Red Bull, you know? Mm. I think he can produce some impressive manoeuvres. He can, you know, even bring very good engineering knowledge from from McLaren and if he's in a in a even bigger team he could he could actually produce some strong results until they end up fighting as as teammates i mean look he he will be faster than than Perez i think it's not hard to be faster than than Perez but again to kind of emphasize my point you've got Norris up at the front at the shootout but then you've got Piastri in P10 yeah. you know and then in qualifying okay Norris was um was 6th right was he 6th yeah well, yeah, he, and he was ahead of Piastri. Piastri was 10th again, right? So you've got this massive delta in performance in the same way that you have Verstappen's delta in performance with, with Perez. So I guess it's just one of those things you, you'll never know. It's like people saying, who's better, Schumacher or Verstappen? Yeah. You know, and it's kind of like, well, or Senna and Verstappen. It's kind of like, come on, you know, like exactly. they haven't raced with each other. Okay, so let's not talk about the talented drivers. Let's talk about drivers that lost talent in the shootout. Esteban Ocon in the barrier, smashing into another driver, uh, Alonso, right? Giving Alonso a puncture. And of course, just immediately getting on the radio and being like, that idiot Fernando, what's he doing? Blah, blah, blah. But I mean, mate, you take one look at that footage. I mean, for me, that was almost entirely Ocon's fault. 100%. I mean, Alonso wasn't completely on the outside. I yeah. mean, it's it's a it's a turn three of of that uh, Interlago circuit, right? So it's a very wide corner, and there's a lot of dust on the outside, etc. But it was enough for a fast flying car to to pass by. He was already oversteering. Ocon was already oversteering on that curbs on the exit and just veered towards Alonso. So I agree with you, Dan. Well, that's the big thing, right? He 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 oversteered. He planted his foot down. The tail end stepped out and. If he didn't oversteer, there wouldn't have been an accident. Full stop. Exactly. You know, I mean, Alonso, yeah, okay. Maybe it wasn't 100% Ocon's fault. 90%. Yeah. Right. If Alonso maybe could have just given him a bit more more room. But yeah, that was really, really unfortunate. Again, just goes to show that when you make it to Formula 1, you think that any bad thing that happens is everybody else's fault. (laughs) Until you watch the footage. And then maybe after you watch the footage, you're still kind of like, 
Mm, I still think it was their yeah their their fault. Um, all right, let's go ahead and talk about the races. So again, this is the last sprint of the season, right? Correct. Yeah. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> um, Max just making it look too too easy. I mean, I think this was, that was a, a boring race from him. And, and no wonder why every time he's asked in an interview what his thoughts are on the sprint, he just has such a sarcastic response. Because turn one, super easy, easy breezy, no real challenge, and then just finish so far up front at the end of the 24 laps. Yeah. Not much, really. Not much, yeah. Not that, much. That's, that's the end of the notes yeah. for, for Max Verstappen. We got some cute fights down the order with Hamilton and Perez, Perez again, not really living up to Verstappen's capabilities. Uh, but this is where we started to see what will ultimately be the big problem for Mercedes in the longer race, and that's obviously their their top speed, hurting both Russell and Hamilton. Talk to me a little bit about how important top speed is at Interlagos. Very important, uh, Dan. Actually, just to mention, going back to the Astons earlier. They seem to drive um, a lot more square. They prepare their exits a lot better because of the long straights. Mercedes somewhat does the same, but don't have the same amount of traction going out of the corner. So, so you, you, you lose a certain amount of speed already on that delta. So when you reach at the end of the straight, you're down by 8 to 10 k's, let's say. But also that Mercedes looked like it was bottoming out way more than the other cars. You can see the sparks um, firing around and it didn't look too comfortable as well. And also the, the Mercedes, what I find is that um, on the lower fuel run, they seem to be a lot more confident, a lot more pace in that car with the drivers. But once they've gone on the heavier fuel load run, that rear tire degradation just deteriorates. So it's tough. It's, it's tough to fight the, the drivers around and even... Alpine managed to, you know, um, surpass them after that later on in the race. So, um, yeah, tough, tough battles. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I think psychologically as well, they were psychologically impacted way more in the main race on the Sunday. But even just a precursor in the sprint, you know, with Sonoda, for example, literally not even trying. And I, I wouldn't say Interlagos is the easiest track to, to overtake on. I, I prefer it to other more modern Hermann Tilke tracks because, you know, that's where you can get your silly two wide maneuvers and, and all of that. But as you're saying, you know, this track's a bit more dusty. It's tighter. It feels more dangerous. You know, like, again, if you go wide at a, at a circuit like Abu Dhabi, you've got that, that mental block isn't there, you know, like you can have a tiny accident and be like, okay, you know what? I'm going to be fine. I've got the runoff. But if you make an accident dive bombing into a corner at Interlagos, you're in that old, old tire wall, you know? So anyway, uh, we can talk more about that in the main race, which at the very beginning, we were watching these interviews uh, just before recording this, this, this podcast. If you guys have time, if you're not lis- listening to this in your car while driving, go into YouTube and type in machine gun kelly interview interlagos i i don't know how martin brundle does it right martin brundle king of these track walks before a race interviewing stubborn celebrities but i i don't know do you want to do an impression jazz he literally was just staring at martin brundle being like i literally have no idea what you're saying like like <laughs> tell me about about your industry i i i can't hear you like I just died crying. Anyway, it's so much better if you watch it and don't let Jazz and I absolutely butcher how funny it is. Um, also interesting, before the race even starts, slightly more interesting than Machine Gun Kelly, um, there were a couple of two-place grid penalties for impeding 
the track Exit. Uh, those were handed off to Russell, Ocon, and Gasly. This is where Interlagos is an interesting track. There are quite a number of places where you can you can kind of be a bit cheeky, right? Jazz by by kind of cutting the track on pit entry, pit exit, and that last corner. Yeah, the the corners are quite unique there, actually, Dan. I think the pit entry, um, the white lines are a lot narrower than other circuits, so they veer up on the top of the hill and just carry as much minimum speed as they can into the entry of the pit lane. And on the other hand, on the pit exit, it's sort of an S-curve going downhill. So what they do is they cut across the curbs and try to um, have a better exit to to carry on on the back straight. So, um, yeah, very different approach. And very different results from from this race as well. We got a we got a DNS, which was very very sad. We got a lot of DNFs, which we can talk about as well. I mean, DNFs in the main race went to Russell, Bottas, Guang Yuzhou, Magnussen, and Albon. But we got a poor little DNS for I know who is a fan favorite for half of the human population, all of which are, are female. Actually, <laughs> men as well. Uh, Charles Leclerc. His hydraulics just failed. I mean, walk us through what what happened because it, it wasn't just a case of like him losing power steering. He actually smashed into the the tire wall. Luckily, he wasn't hurt too badly. Um, but what happens when the hydraulics just completely die on a car? Then, in a modern Formula One car, is basically the um, how do I say like the blood flow of the car, mm. right? The entire blood flow goes from the steering wheel to the gearbox to. Um, the upshifts and the downshifts and even the, the, the throttle to the brakes, right? So it's the, the actual veins of the car and, and it's so weird how such reliability in a Ferrari can fail even before lap one. They could have done thorough checks, but because of all the sophistication in, in, in this modern F1 cars, um, they intend to fail quite easily. So poor Charles, he's been having a stream of uh, bad luck and a shame that he couldn't score some big points this weekend. Okay, so put your boss pants on. I mean, you're, you're literally dressed in a suit, so I guess they, they are on. Um, you're running Ferrari, right? You are tossed, right? And something like this happens. Who, who do you blame? Like, what, what, what do you do? I mean, like, do you literally find the mechanic, the mechanics in charge of the, the hydraulics and kind of give them a big whooping? Or like, what do you do? Because the morale must be so low in the Charles Leclerc camp. I mean, he has had an awful season. If you heard the radio right after he hit the wall, after he just was, you know, whining about it, rightly so, he's just saying, you know, can my luck this season get any worse? How, how do you deal with a problem like this? Hydraulics is is one in a million, right? Then, I mean, there are some drivers who had it on the way to the grid, sometimes touching a curb or whatever it may be. You can't blame a specific person. It's a team effort. So... Maybe their procedures could have been a, a lot more strict, you know, a lot more thorough. With all the sensors on the cars, there's over 2,000 sensors on the car or whatever. Um, it may be now. They can already trigger that beforehand. So they should have they should have checked the car another round thoroughly on the grid to make sure that everything's in order. Well, I don't know how his uh, kind of corporate turnaround of Ferrari is going, but... Uh... I mean, to have this happen so close to the end of the season as well, I don't know. I mean, I feel like just some of the mechanics are just kind of like, we know where we stand in the championship. You know, I'm, I'm done. I just want to go, go home. Yeah, that's right. Long season. Yeah. All right. With the race start itself uh, on the Sunday, big crash between Albon and Magnussen. 
I don't know, that was a racing incident. Very, very unfortunate. I know you guys were talking about the girlfriend effect in the last episode um, and talking about the effect that uh, Lily, Lily me, Lily he, Lily me. What effect she's had on Albon this season with his stellar performances. But it looks like it has run out with three races to go. I mean, Albon, Albon had nowhere to go. The, the, the two kind of Haas's pushed each other kind of and... Again, this is what happens when you're in a Formula car. I mean, unless you've sat in a Formula car or a single-seater, you really just can't comprehend how little you actually see in that kind of race car, right? You just see the top of the tires. You have limited mobility. You're not going to be able to turn your head to the right like you do in a car when you're changing lanes and looking at your side mirrors. I mean, the mirrors in Formula 1 cars, they're aesthetic over anything. I mean, they're like aerodynamic tools over anything functional. So, uh... Yeah, racing incident, sitting duck. Uh, even though it was the Haas's fault, I would still say that it wasn't too bad. You know, it, a <laughs> bad, bad, bad outcome. But I mean, the intention wasn't there to kind of be a bad driver on 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 track. Um, so that was really, really sad. And Ricardo, with his amazing comeback since breaking his his wrist or, or fracturing it, even more unlucky with the rear tire breaking his his rear, rear wing. wing. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah shame uh i wanted to see how much he was he was smiling let's talk about norris though again let's really really focus on him i mean from p6 up to p2 within one lap and then with the restart and to hold that p2 so comfortably into turn one uh with another standing start after albon's accident he's i really think he's i can't think of anyone else but he's like the first driver to legitimately be in verstappen's drs wow all all season yep there's no one else on par um, he managed to save that tyres actually then um, to creep up into his space. It, most impressively, the car could, could, could take that even to the end of the race. They weren't that far off. The only thing I thought was top end speed. Um, Red Bull had a bit more mm. grunt than Red, uh, than McLaren did. Um, but other than that, they, were, they weren't far off. And if anything happened to Max, I think uh, Norris could have won that race. Top end speed is a great segue to Mercedes. But before we get there, just... To stay on McLaren, with Norris putting in such a stellar performance, honestly, all weekend, what is up with Piastri? Because, you know, he he really had this shining moment mid-season where we were really like, wow, this really is the wonder kid. So glad he made his decision to be in McLaren. Zach Brown must be so happy. But when Norris is, is putting performances up at the very, very knife end of the grid and you're there down the order, you know... I, that can't feel very good. Yeah. I mean, to be honest as well, he hasn't raced there um, in Brazil. I think some of the tracks as well that, you know, in the calendar. But the deficit is not too far, actually, Dan. Uh, two, three tenths. Uh, there was a bit of a drop-off in the race and etc. He was also in that mid-pack where it gets very messy to turn one and, and etc. Um, he also spun in, in one of the quality sessions. Um, he went off wide in the in the last corner. So... Probably he didn't get the rhythm needed um, in a new circuit to match Norris's um, pace. I think as a rookie, he did well overall, but it's just that the deficit looks as though it's bigger than what it is. I, I will say from a driver's perspective, you know, you do get some of these tracks that you go to where experience really, really does matter, right? Like, like when tracks that have bumps and undulations and all this kind of stuff where you need to learn how to take those bumps. I know it sounds so simple and straightforward, but when you're traveling at over 300 kilometers an hour, it's really, really hard to execute. 
it's like a street track, right? When you're racing go-karts, for example, knowing exactly where those bumps are so you can be right on the limit, carry the most speed, learn where the curbs are slightly grippier because they're almost unconventional curbs. So, you know, I guess in my head, I was being really harsh on Piastri, but <laughs> to be honest, Interlagos is up there with Zanvoort yes. on tracks that I wouldn't want to make my debut on. Yes. Now, talking about deficits with teammates... Uh, let's focus on Perez. Um, <laughs> we're three, two races to go in the season, and every single time I mention Perez's name, I have to put the the preface that we're gonna bash him. You guys already know. Um, could have had a P three finish, you know, which would have been legitimate. You know, he should have been P two in every single race in the season when Max was P one, so he should have been P two this weekend as well. But really, he should have been P three. But Alonso just pipped him. It's heartbreaking, right? <laughs> it's heartbreaking too. I mean, he was crying in Mexico, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, good turnaround. He he finished in the podium in the sprint um, in the main race, shy for another podium. I think that he's trying very, very hard, Dan. Um, every session, every quality, every single lap of that race, he's squeezing uh, as much as he can to save that seat. You know, um, there's a lot of talks and rumours, you know, a uh, couple of races ago, Alonso had potential. Uh, Ricciardo had a potential last race, and it's not nice. It's not nice to hear that. Um, but uh, I think he's trying to to squeeze whatever package he can to to match Max. Actually, pace wise, he's he's there or thereabouts. But once you're in the race, when you're settling settled up front, it's a lot easier than when you're battling in the mix. For sure, for sure. And but one driver that always has no problem battling in the mix and has no trouble saving his seat is. Alonso, right? The, the the driver that did pip him by a few thousandths of a second. I just want to say how amazing it is that he's doing it at this age. Wait, how old is he? He's like, 42, he's in his 40s, right? Yeah, 43. So, okay. I mean, you're not going to go to a dinner party and say that someone that's 42 is old. But in Formula One terms, you're, you're a dinosaur now, right? But the fact that he's still up there at the front and whooping the butt of a younger teammate... I find so refreshing because I think during, particularly in our generation of motorsports jazz, like there was so much pressure for you to make it to Formula One at the age of 18. Yeah. You know, and if you didn't make it by 19, it's like, okay, well, you're you're expired by now. Your career is over, yeah. right? Whereas you go back 30, 40 years, all the F1 drivers were gentlemen, right? There was, there was no way you would have had a 17-year-old driving an F1 car. You yeah. know, it would have been like you'd have to drive on the road for a decade before getting into a race car. So I, I like how Alonso's bringing this kind of conversation back and maybe changing this perception. Hopefully it means that there's more opportunities for drivers that are slightly older. I, I doubt it because there's so much pressure for marketability and sponsorship money and all that kind of stuff. But mm. he is proving those people wrong. Yeah. You know, you can be in your 40s and still win. You don't just have to be a development driver, even though that's why he was hired for Aston Martin in the first place. All right, let's go to some fan questions now. Um, Jazz, this one's for you. This is from Nathan Hugh on Instagram. Similar to the USGP sprint, we saw how Mercedes just couldn't seem to get the right setup, which ultimately hampered their race weekend. Should something change about the sprint weekend? Well, uh, good question, Nathan. I think the format has shown certain advantages to some teams and has shown disadvantages to other teams. 
Unfortunately for Brazil, it showed disadvantages for Mercedes on both ends. It looked as though it's not into favour for Mercedes at all. I think the format should be a lot more shorter, not a 20-odd lap race, maybe a sprint-sprint race. The qualifying should just be a one-lapper shootout, um, which has done, which is technically has done in the past. But I think that would determine uh, a lot more on the sprint, and the, the tires would be a lot more fresher for the drivers to um, go all out for for a shorter race period. Well, if you want my opinion, Nathan, I think the thing they should change about the sprint is deleting it from the format completely. <laughs> all right, on to the second question. How do drivers contribute towards the development of the car? There were reports to suggest that Danny Rick has been the driving force at AlphaTauri, and the Brazilian weekend is another excellent point hole for the team, placing them just seven points behind Williams. This is a very good question. I think you'll have a lot more insight than I will, uh, just because you've been involved with Mercedes in the past, no? Yeah. Um, the thing is, in a big team, you have a lot more resources. Uh, a lot more resources means you have a lot more access now, you have access to the simulator, uh, which runs, I mean, uh, during my time, there was only two sims um, called the driver in loop three, four, and five, or three and four. When I left, it's five. But Red Bull has a couple as well. There is, there is um, uh, move, moving motion platforms. And they run in schedules. So if there's a race that, that's three in the morning, back in the factory, there's, there's a, a team of five that's operating. And there's also... Um, the team that is on site that is that is uh, transferring the data. On the other hand, there are also certain tests that they run in an older spec cars. Um, some of the older spec cars are, of course, irrelevant, but there's some data that they can extract out of it um, in terms of cooling or in terms of um, uh, managing uh, heating uh, and stuff like that. So depends on the resources of which team has. Uh, I think Daniel knows Red Bull because he was part of the junior team. So he's been through the process in and out till he became a race winner. And, and then he went out and now back into AlphaTauri, he knows the, the, the whole structural organization that shows what the team needs in moving forward. Well, there you have it, Nathan. Anybody else that has any questions, please do remember to shoot us a DM on any of our personal social media platforms or on Instagram at suited and. Buddha. Thank you so much to everybody that wrote in. Okay, last question. This is from me to you, Jazz. Uh, with only two races to go, what do we want to see? We want to see different race winners. That's <laughs> what we want to see. We something want realistic. Something realistic. I would love to see Norris um, winning a Grand Prix. I would love to see uh, AlphaTauri again pulling strong points results uh, like the sprint in Brazil. And uh, finally, let's bring that Ferrari back together, shall we? <laughs> Yeah, I think I think that'll make everybody everybody happy. Uh, I want to see some rain, but I think I've got the two worst races possible for for rain. You got Vegas and Abu Dhabi, so that's not going to happen. All right, back to tradition. We're gonna do win it at the same time. Win it or bin it. You ready for the win it? Yeah. All right, three, two, one. Norris. Norris. <laughs> You you were waiting for me to answer. <laughs> no, I wanted Norris to <laughs> <from the> start. <laughs> okay, okay. Norris was you. my win it. All right, and your bin it is three, two, one. All the Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> All the Ferrari. I wanted to say Bottas, actually. Okay, why? Bottas, Alfa, uh, Alfa Romeo. They've been nowhere, Dan. Nowhere to be seen, nowhere to be heard. 
uh, no pace, making errors over everywhere. So fair enough. Yeah, Alfa Romeos. Alfa okay, Romeos. okay. Uh, I'm I'm gonna go with the Ferrari hydraulics team, and you're gonna go with uh, Alfa Romeos, the Alfa B Ra- team. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we have Las Vegas coming up on the 16th to 18th of November. So our podcast will come out right after that with a review. Uh, I'm really looking forward to these North American races to finish. They're like the worst time to watch from this part in Asia. It's all like 2, 3 a.m. And your boy needs proper sleep. But excited for Vegas. We'll definitely watch this one live. Um, Got a couple of predictions as to whether or not the racing will actually be good on this circuit i saw verstappen uh, making some comments about why we're in vegas in the first place it's not for racing it's just for the money and the glitz and glamour uh but i hope that the track layout proves him wrong stay tuned to find out thank you very much my name is daniel woodruff i'm jasmine jafar and that was suited and booted drive safe everybody 